This week on Inside the Ropes, we have Mike Clayton on the ball rollback. We talk to the Vic PGA winner, Chris Wood, and heaps more. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day, everybody. Welcome to the show. Inside the Ropes, episode number 194. Approaching the 200 milestone, just like that West Indian debutante as they chase down 395 to beat Bangladesh, Martin Blake. Hello, Kyle Mayers. Did you hear about him I during the week? I did not hear Unbelievable. Came and played his first test. They chased 395. I know we're talking about another 200. sport, but 200's in mind, and we're nearly there. So only got 210 not out on debut. Pretty handy. With a first-class batting average of 29 going in. Very handy, Andy. To win. Thank you very much. Lovely to see you. It's been a while. Um, yeah. On behalf of everybody who is part of the show and listens to the show, commiserations on the passing of your dear old man. Mm, thank you, Andy. Yeah. Harold Blake. He uh, he was a nine handicapper, Dad. Uh, yeah. He hit it a long way. Yeah. He was a terrible putter. Right. So he was one of those guys you look at him and think, oh, he could be a, a six guy. Yeah. Stall Golf Club. But uh, have you ever been to Stall? We have Mike have. Clayton. Oh, that's that's Clayton, Clayton, by the way, who's I joining us. Yeah. Yeah. No, I never have. Neither have I. Mm-hmm. What's it like? Uh, yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Not not a bad track. They you know they sort of run it on volunteers nowadays and stuff yeah. like that. So that has an impact, but it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, Dad, miss him already. I bet you do. Mm. Hazy's over in um, – our thoughts are with you and your family, mate. Um, Hazy's over in Amidus, uh, in Adelaide at the Oz Amateur. So we'll catch up with him a bit later on. Christopher Wood, Chris Wood. Not the English one, but the Australian one, who's been doing it for about nearly 10 years as a pro, had his biggest day uh, as a pro at the Vic PGA down at the uh, Mornington Peninsula. Last week, we'll catch up with him. Quick turnaround with the uh, Mooner Lynx PGA Classic teeing off. Today, we're recording Tuesday morning, so he'll be teeing it off at about about 1 o'clock this afternoon. I think he might be up first or early out in the afternoon. One, So we wish him all the very best. We'll catch up with him a bit later on. But Mike Clayton is with us. Lovely to see you. Good timing, yeah. Andy. What well, always timing. seems to be with Clates, there's yeah. always something to talk to you about. There's always something in golf, isn't there? There about. is. Something to argue about. Well, the never-ending debate. There's a lot to talk to you about um, outside of you know the, mm. the bifurcation and the um, equipment review that the two big um, you know golf organisations have yep. conducted and come out with the... Um, findings of, there's been a lot of reaction to this, Clates. There's never just one element of it all. It's it's a multi-layered, but what's your immediate takeaway from what you've read and what you've heard so far? Well, I think clearly they're fed up with the ball going too far. And and the golf is completely out of scale at the top level. The courses don't play remotely the way the original designers thought they should play, despite architects including me moving tees back as far as we can at Kingston Heath and Victoria and Lake Clarin up and the lakes and places like that, the whole big tournament. So, you know, they've said we think the, ball, the, the, the game ought to go back to where the best players in the world are hitting middle lines into par fours occasionally. Yep. Without having to resort to 250-yard par threes and 580-yard par fives to test a three-iron. Yeah, the thing that annoys me is, it's always it's only one percent. What about the ninety nine percent? Well, the two types of holes that ninety nine percent of golfers hate are two hundred fifty yard par threes and five hundred eighty yard par four, par fives. So it's you know the game's way out of scale. These guys are. You know I'm not a long hitter by any means. I'm you know, I'm getting worse. But I played with Elvis Smiley the other day and he hits at seventy yards past me. 
Now, these guys at the – and he's long-ish, but no longer than average because average is 300 yards. But they hit the ball so far that the courses don't even remotely play the way they're supposed to play. Mm. And no one – you know, the manufacturers have got this massive voice. They wheel out Webb Simpson with a title <laughs> that I to spew out some illogical arguments that make him look silly. But, you know, who, who speaks for the courses? Alice McKenzie's dead. Donald Ross is dead. You know, all those great old courses. Who, who's making the case for them? And, and it's, you know, it's the USGA and the RNA that are making the case for them. And, you know, as much as they want to grab from Webb Simpson, no one's calling up Tom Doak or Bill Corr or Gil Hansen mm. saying, what do you think? Because you would get a much more intelligent answer out of them than you would with a guy with a tightest hat on. It does feel like the push for um, 8,000-yard tour courses is over. Does it, do, do we all get a sense that... Is that the Chambly, Brod? Yeah, uh, that, that we've the had, camp everyone's or? had a chance to think about that and how diff, and all of the elements of that. And Does it feel like that... That argument's dead. Well, Shambly's argument is golf course architecture needs to be more inventive. Well, you know, there's been an amazing group of courses built in the last 30 years. Started with Sandhills in Nebraska, Bill Corn, Ben Crenshaw. You know, Bum Boogle here, Bannon Dunes, Castle Stewart, Gilded in, in Scotland, the Olympic course in Rio. You know, some of the best courses ever have been built in the last 30 years. So I don't accept the argument golf course architecture needs to be more inventive. Yeah. You know, golf course architecture is... It is what it is, and if the ball's going 50 yards further than it was 40 years ago, how do you manage that? I mean, how do you make Kingston Heath more inventive? <laughs> I mean, you can't go and do what Webb what, what Web Simpson wants to do, which is <laughs> grow more rough, make more dog legs, make the greens smaller. Stick in bunkers know, and yeah, put in trees. Put in bunkers, and it's just... It's just Tree in front of the tee. It's just crazy stuff. Yeah, you know, you know, if you want to ruin the Royal Melbourne, then fine, go ahead. But, mm. you know, I assume he played it. Royal Melbourne in the President's Cup, I assume he thought that was a pretty good golf course. Mm. Well, how, well, how would you change this golf course to make it better? What well, did you think? The, the, play, the players are the last people you'd, you'd want to ask, I think. They're, they're, all, they're all conflicted well, they know, were, by the fact that they've got, got contracts. So yeah. uh, the, the rhetoric was pretty strong, Andy. I, I just wanted to read out this quote from Mike Davis, the USGA. Yep. Uh, if left unchecked, it could threaten the long-term future of our game at every level and every course on which it's played. So I don't, they don't move quickly, these people, do they? I mean, I, I still think it could be a year or two away, but but that rhetoric is quite strong. Yeah. That sounds as dramatic as anything yeah. you've heard from the USGA or RNA in my lifetime. That that sounds like about the most dramatic thing I've ever heard anyone in one, holding one of those offices ever say. Yeah, and I think he understands the history that Every the longest hitter in every generation has become the norm in the next, and Bryson will be the norm in that. That length will be the norm in the next generation. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, and they've limited the driver from. He was experimenting with forty-eight inches, so they've cut that to forty-six, Maximum which 46. is great. Yeah, you know, you know, they finally you know, realized quickly we don't want to let that happen. Mm. They let the long putter get away, which was that should have been banned the day Sam Torrance picked it up. Mm. And then they let the driver head get completely out of control. That, that, that should have been limited to the size of the greatest Big Bertha in whenever that was, the mid-90s, early 90s. So they, drive, you know, they let that get away. So it's great to have them let the driver get to 48 inches. Because if you, inevitably, I think, at some point, you'll get a Michael Jordan at 6 foot 10 who's an amazing athlete who can swing a 48-inch driver and it's going to go... 380 yards. I yeah. mean, all the long driving guys in America, they all hit it that far. Yeah, they do. So, yeah. so one of those guys one day is going, <clears throat> is going to figure out how to play golf. 
Amazes me they haven't figured it out by now. I mean, surely that what's, what, what's that? You know, that Shedlowski? No, the guy with the long hair that smashes it. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Amazes me that. How can you not shoot sixty two every time you play? <laughs> it's bizarre. It sounded <laughs> to me, Andy, like they're, they're heading for bifurcation or division of the game. So one ball for pros, or one you know one set of specifications for pros. So I wonder whether Augusta might do that fairly soon. Well, I, you know. I think there's no doubt. The majors are all, it's three versus one, and the, the US PGA being the one out, no one knows what they'll do. But clearly the Open, the US Open and the Masters will go with the round back ball. How and, soon? Oh, I think and a small, 24 probably. Smaller yeah. headed driver? Yeah. And I think, that, that's important too, isn't it? Well, no, it's not as important cause, cause, no. because I think it's a more difficult argument to make that you know, the great thing about golf is that players can use the same equipment, but and they always have. But they've never we, we we didn't always use the same ball. I mean, what Americans don't understand, I think, is that the whole world was wound back in 1983 when they when they forced and when we accepted that we were playing with a big ball. We were all playing with a small ball till then in Britain and New Zealand and Japan and Asia and Europe and. You know, we all, well, the longest players gave up 25 yards almost without complaint. Peter Thompson complained about it for the reason, his reasoning was why are we blindly following America, which coming off the back of the Vietnam War wasn't a bad idea. But, um, you know, everyone accepted that that was probably the right thing for golf to have a standard ball. But every golfer in Australia and Britain and New Zealand and Japan lost up to 25 yards in distance, almost without complaint. And now you hear the average American amateur, you take my distance away, I'll give up golf. Mm-hmm. Or if, you, if you're worried about five yards or 10 yards or whatever, move a tee up or, you know, is that why you're playing, really? They won't. No, it's of course they won't It's ridiculous. No one's, no one's going to give up golf because no. no one did give up golf. In a, no one gave up golf in Australia. Mm. When in 1984 they said, you have to play with the big ball. Everyone just played with the big ball and they moved ahead and, well, went on and it was fine. And, and the same thing will happen again. So the bifurcation, it's the word that has been rolling th- around through. It's been Hayes the bit, favourite. Yeah, it, it's been probably the most oft used and controversial word in golf in the last two years, pretty much. So there's been a lot said. You mentioned Webb Simpson. Rory McIlroy is probably the one that's drawn the most commentary in his response to um, the review into equipment. Um, there's a lot to it. Possibly the key Rory comment uh, isn't in this quote that we're about to play, but you, play, but you can paraphrase it for us at the end. Clay. So this is what Rory had to say when asked about it leading into this week's tournament. It certainly doesn't need to happen. Um, and I think I said this in there. So I feel the RNA and the USGA are looking at golf through a tiny, narrow little lens that pertains to 0.1% of golfers. Yes, of course the ball goes a long way with top-level professionals and top-level amateurs and, and the guys that sort of make their living playing this game. But 99.9% of golfers don't do that. And they, they don't want the ball to go shorter. They, don't, they, you, we, they need help getting the ball in the air for going further. I mean, golf has had an unbelievable boom in 2020. I mean, it's been like this pandemic has been so good for golf. And the fact that they're looking at the wrong thing. They spent millions of dollars doing this distance insights report, which I think is, it's not going to change the game at all. You know, man, they might put new regulations on manufacturers. Manufacturers are going to find a way to get around them. That's just, that's how good they are. 
So those millions of dollars that were spent in the distance insights report should, should have been put back into the grassroots of the game because golf is experiencing a boom. So we need more younger people in the game. We need more minorities in the game. That is, that's how we keep the game going for the next hundred years, not by looking at the ball and looking at the driver. And that's my whole thing with it. I think it, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, it reeks of self-importance. And that sort of, that's not, yes, they're the gatekeepers of the game, and they're, but, but their job is to, yes, make sure that the game thrives in 100 years' time, and this is not the way to do it. The way, the, the, the way to do it is by getting more people into the game, by, by, by making it more, by making golf more approachable. And if you're just piling and piling rules on the people the entire time, that doesn't make it approachable. So what do you? There's a lot there. So the the the, the next line is you've got it. You've got it there, which hasn't made it to that sort of popularly um, used quote of Rory's. I don't know where to start with that, but um, there is something beautiful in our game that everyone is governed by the same set of rules. Well, I think we all kind of agree with that, even though we're technically well, we're technically not. But anyway, but where technology has come, I like to think the idea of bifurcation, because the golf that I play and the golf that you play, no offence, are completely different. You know what I mean. But 99% of golfers out there, golf courses aren't too short, which is absolutely mm, true. true. No, no one's yep. arguing with that. The ball doesn't go too far for 99% of golfers. Absolutely true. So I'd be in favour of, of a set of parameters for the pros and, and another one for the amateurs. Well, that's what not that yeah. what we're talking about? Absolutely. That's what everybody's talking about. So, you know, I don't get that. Well, I think that the money needed to be spent on the report. If, if the USJ had come out and the RNA had come out with Here's what we think without any evidence or without any report, then the pros are going to go nuts about that. Yep. So you've got to, I don't know they spent millions, but you've got to spend some money on compiling the evidence. And, you know, and for me, again, it goes back to who protects the courses. And, and you know, of course, we don't want, you know, we don't want you and Porter going to a golf club in a pair of black shoes and black socks and being told he can't be able to play. That's, you know, that's <coughs> all that madness. Mm. But, you know, I just think that. The courses are what's important. And whilst it's not for 99% of players, it doesn't affect them. The members of Victoria, when the Australian Open goes there in 2022, don't want to see every par four on the back nine hit with a wedge So is it, is, it, is it too simple a question to have answered by someone in your camp? How far should they be allowed to hit the ball? Like, like how, well, fa- how, well, how far should the maximum distance go well, off the tee? That's the question I was asked, a manufacturer. Well, how far is too far? Mm. 400 yards too far? And if you spoke to the boss of Titleist or TaylorMade, they would say secretly, they would tell you our aim is to make the ball go 400 yards. They don't care about golf courses, mm. as far as I can tell. They're just doing so, the job, so, aren't they? So, so if Adam's, well, they're doing the job. So, so, but it's like kids without any boundaries. You know, if you don't have boundaries around, they'll, they'll just keep pushing and pushing until they go mad. So if the boss of the manufacturing companies, if their aim is to see Bryson DeChambeau stand on the first tee at Royal Melbourne on the West Coast and drive the ball on the green, then... Okay, but is that good for golf? Don't we want to see something in between you actually? So I'd like to know. So I'd like to know what the people who watch the game like. I'd like if you could do a global survey of golf fans. I wonder what the answer to that question would be. Do you want to see DeChambeau able to do that? If he chooses to do that, do you want to see him be able to take that on? Is that exciting to? Well, we will never do it. Right. So the ninety nine point nine percent that McElroy talks yeah. about will never do it. But I wonder whether the patrons of the people who just watch the game, who don't have your sensibilities, yeah. I wonder whether they are interested to see players be able to do that. Well Jeff Shuckov had gotten into an argument with Monaghan about 
the distance debate. And he said, why aren't you building the grandstands behind the tees? You're not building grandstands behind any of the... The grandstands are all behind the greens. Mm. No, no one wants to... And, you know, my other point would be that... <clears throat> I, well, I still remember the first time I saw Greg Norman hit a ball, 1974. It was amazing. Uh. And everyone who saw Greg Norman play in Australia in the, in the 70s and 80s was in awe of how far he hit the ball. There were four women on the LPJ tour who are statistically longer than Greg Norman now. Yeah. You know, we were in awe of Sam Snead when he played here in 1973 at Yarra Yarra and Jack Nicholas when he came and played in Australia all those years. So no one will convince me ever that watching those guys was somehow dull because, as Mackenzie said, distance is all relative. So it was amazingly thrilling to watch Greg Norman drive the ball 300 yards. So do we know whether the bifurcated ball, do we know whether a guy, who, say a guy who averages 290 yards off the tee now compared to someone who, so, so does, the, it, does, it, does everyone come back a percentage or does it just bring the long bloke back? Well, that's what the, what I want to see is, um, and I, I don't know if they've done it. They, if they haven't, they should have. The USGA and the RNA should have got done a test every mile an hour from 70 miles an hour through to 100. Yep. In, in one mile an hour increments, club head speed. Tell the people who swing between 70 and 100 miles an hour, how much you're going to lose. Now, my guess would be that someone swinging at 70 miles an hour doesn't lose anything because they, they didn't pick up anything. That's right. You know, I might lose at sub 100 miles an hour. My dreams are, you know, <laughs> um, you know, I might lose five yards. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm not losing 30. You know, the, the great fear campaign is they'll take 30 yards off Bryson and they'll take 30 yards off my mother-in-law. No. Well, you know, it's ludicrous. Yep. But they need, they need to wheel out and say, if you swing the club at 86 miles an hour if, and you hit the ball this far with a Pro V1, which is a great ball, no question it's a great ball. If you hit the ball that far with that ball, you're going to lose four yards or five yards or seven or whatever, which is the same that they lost mm. around the world when they had to switch to the big ball. Mm. And no one gave up golf. But you know, the, the course would be utterly obsolete now if we were still playing with a small ball. But the game carried on perfectly sanely and, you know, it was, it was fine. And, you know, there's this argument, well, players will get tired of switching balls. You know, if the majors go with, if the US Open, the British Open and the Masters and the Australian Open, presumably, and the Japan Open, decide to go with the rollback ball, the players will whine and moan that, well, we can't keep switching balls. Well, you, you don't mind going to Mexico and hitting yeah. the ball Ten percent further, you get your track man out there, and half an hour you can figure it out. Well, they play in different you courses know. every week, so yeah. it's hardly you know. They, you know. they go to Saudi Arabia. Right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah exactly um, right. Jack Nicklaus went and played the British Open and the Australian Open. The British Open every year, the Australian Open for many years. He came down here and picked up a new set of clubs and a small ball, which went twenty-five yards further and played with it. Mm. In fact, he went back to play the World Cup in 1971. In Florida, he, he won in Hobart, the Australian Open in Hobart, and he won the Dunlop in at Manly, flew straight to the World Cup in Florida and played with a small ball because they were allowed to play the small ball in the yeah, World yeah, Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jack happily switched back and forward. And if he could switch back and forward without the benefits of a track man, then with all the technological advantages these guys have now, they can switch back and forth if they have to. But they'll get fed up with it and they'll eventually say, assuming they, they don't say... We're just not going to play the Opens or the Masters, which I don't think they're going to do. I don't think they'll do that. I don't think they're going to do that. They might, but I doubt it. Then they'll switch back and forward, and and, and eventually they'll get tired of it, and they'll go to a rollback ball. Because the other thing I don't understand is the best players 
history of the game have always been the best iron players. Great drivers, normally long, but Sneed, Hogan, Tiger, Jack, amazing players from 175 yards to 250 yards, which is the, which is the distance you pick up statistically on the strokes gains category. That's where the best players pick up the most number of shots. Not in the punting greens, not pitching. 175 to 250. That was where Tiger dominated. Yeah. So I don't understand why the best players, who are the longest hitters also at the moment, don't want it wound back because it actually gives them more shots in that range. So, so it's worth a read, Andy, the, the report. It's on, on the Golf Australia website if you have a look there in the news section. The stats are interesting. 296.4 yards US Tour driving average last uh, 2020 up. Up one percent. Sometimes these stats don't really reflect what what we talk about. But European Tour, two hundred and ninety five yards average, up fifteen yards since two thousand and three. Uh, one thing that jumped out at me was on the European Tour, twenty two percent of drives went three hundred and twenty yards or more, uh, which was up twenty two fourteen percent. Yeah, right. To, to which 20. is well, that's more telling than the other numbers. That's I a quarter, nearly yeah. a quarter of all drives go more than three twenty yeah. yards. Yeah. But all those stats are disingenuous because they. Don't take into account the Pro V1, which came out in 2000. So I was talking to Ogilvy the other day. We had a game, and he was talking about Stephen Leaney came to play the Volvo Masters, I think, at Monte Castillo in 2000, just first year on the tour, I think it was, in Europe. And Leaney said, you can't believe this ball. It's 12, it's, it, it is 25 years longer. And the whole tour had, had adopted that ball within two months. Yeah, right. Yep. And it was. So the quantum leap was the Pro V in 2000. So saying, well, you know, since 2003, well, the, 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 the horse had bolted by 2003. So, of course, it's only gone up incrementally by then. And more and more players of you know, young kids have come yeah, out there long. Yeah. You know, Bryson, you know, Swinging that generation. Yeah. So the next generation, Bryson is not going to be the outlier at all. You know, there are a bunch of 15-year-old kids out there who are, whose teachers are saying, you need to swing the club at 130 miles an hour with 195 mile an hour ball speed. Well, where does that leave the first at Kingston Heath? So, so, so in those yeah. stats, uh, it's just to that point, Clates, the, the longest hitters are on the Quant Ferry Tour. That statistically, they're, yeah. they're, they're where the big bombers are. They're, they're the, you know, 22, well, they're, 23. They're the yeah, they're and I think right, every, yeah. cl- every club around Australia's got, you know, they've all got a, all the, all the big clubs have all got a, a young amateur coming through oh, playing yeah. pennant that's hitting at, you know, three, yeah. be hitting at 330, so, 50 yards. So petrol... Fueled cars manufacturers, they've been working on electric cars for yeah. 20 years. They've had them ready to go. And we see what's happening now in America with General Motors and you know, with Biden coming in. Every fleet car in the government's going to be electric by 2030. So they're ready to go. They're just waiting for the oil to run out. That's pretty yeah. much what they're waiting for. Are these <clears> golf manufacturers, are they already working on bifurcated balls? Well, they... you would assume they would be. I mean, they would argue it's the biggest threat to their business, but you would assume that they're working on them. <clears throat> You know, We're still going to buy golf balls. I'm still going to buy golf balls. Everyone's, everyone, no one's, so everyone's, why are they everyone, worried about everyone's that? Everyone's going to keep playing golf. The, golf the, the game will go on as it always has. Yeah. If the top 1% of players hit the ball 30 yards shorter, the Pro Tour will go on. It'll be just as exciting. I would argue it'd be actually more exciting. Because you, I think you would not notice that on watching on television. You, you can't no you can't one, tell the difference between a 330-yard and a of course you can't. No. no. And, and, I, and spot on. It's a great. That's actually a great point. You can't no, tell the difference. No. Yeah, and not I, on television. You know, Caddy for Elvis at Rosebud, and I watched him drive it like an arrow for four days. A lot, a lot. Then you go and play with him, and, and it doesn't look that impressive how far he's hitting it because he's hitting it the, the same length as most of the others, and it just goes out there like you know it looks like Greg Norman used to hit it. Then you go and play with him, and you're fifty yards behind him, going, 
Shit, that's impressive. <laughs> you know, but it's just become the norm. You know, the, every kid that stands up, it just drives it 300 plus something yards. So will this happen? Yeah, absolutely. It's going to happen? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It happens? Yeah, slowly. Yep. 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 I, I don't think slowly. I think, mm. you know, I think the pandemic put it back a year. I think 24, right. we'll see a rollback ball at the Opens. And, you know, I assume the Australian Open because I, you know, why wouldn't you have a rollback ball at the Australian mm. Open? Because, because all our courses are way too short now. I mean, there isn't, there isn't aside from Moon and Lynx, there's no championship length course in Australia. We have great golf courses that, that can hold, that can keep the scores intact by having hard, fast greens and wind. And you know, having all the back back tees that we've built over the years, but they're still eating a lot of wedges. Yeah, you know, they're still. I mean, I mean, Elvis hit into the wind in that big wind the first day at Rosebud, straight into the wind at the fifth hole. He had a drive on a five iron. He didn't hit a six iron to a par four. I don't think he hit a seven iron to a par four either. So the the longest shot he had was that shot. It was 160 meters straight into a big wind on. I think the next shortest shot he had was 150. A vast majority were under 115 metres. So there's a couple of segues here. We could, I'll talk to you about the player series in a moment because you were there and you got a sense for it. But you, you, you and your colleagues um, have got the job at Seven Mile Beach, Matty Goggins' yep, course. Yep, yep. What, what do you do? I mean, it's a public course. This, Tasmania is now, and, and King Island thrown to the mix, it is becoming an, like an international destination now for high-quality public access golf. It's, it's unbelievable what is on offer down there. Well, with Seven Mile Beach, assuming Matt does two courses down there, Tasmania will own top-level public golf. It already does, mm-hmm. in a sense. Well, it's got, only got three, Wickham and two at Bamboogle, but with five courses in the top 100 in the world and five in the top, I think certainly... Five, I think five in the top ten in Australia. It owns high high quality public golf in Australia, and and a really affordable public golf. I mean, Richard Sattler's he might have put his green fee up ten dollars since two thousand and four, but one hundred and twenty bucks a game is you know it's amazing. For, yeah, given that you know, the, the band and Jones is two hundred fifty dollars US a game. Mm. So you know, Tasmania's got an amazing chance to be the head of great public golf course. Uh, so tell me, what, tell me whatever you want to tell me about the project. But the question I've got for you is, do you, do you do something in the design of that course that does allow it to be two courses within one, one that is playable for the amateur but can be challenging for the pro as well, given the conversations well, we're all having? Is that at all in the back of your mind? Well, in that question is, so you're going to build something like Royal Melbourne? Because it's both. Eh? Mm. And, and Royal Melbourne, which is an offshoot of St Andrews, really, is, wasn't built for anyone. Mackenzie just built great holes. Yeah, right. That were fun to play for club members, but interesting to play for good players. But you don't set out to design for any group of people, really. You just try and build good golf. Mm, mm. And you know, the question is, do you... Yeah, but in the you, back of your mind these days, we understand the game has changed from... Yeah. Not, but not for the people who are going to play there. No, no. So, but if in the future um, there might be an Australian Open at Seven Mile Beach, yep. do you leave room behind the tees to add back tees so that there's a tournament course for if, if the ball's rolled back, it'll be fine. If the ball's not rolled back, then do you leave space behind the tees to build tees for an Australian That's Open? Well, kind yeah, of what I'm sure. getting at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I don't think you, I think it's a big mistake to design courses for one group of players. And the, and the best courses, and the, and the Sandbelt's the best example of it in the world. Uh, is a combination of perfect members courses that are also great championship courses, the perfect mix. And only in, only in the last twenty years have they become too short. But 
They also have the defence of great greens, complex, difficult bunker shots, wind, tough putting. So it keeps the scores in check. Mm. You know, if you had soft, mushy greens at Victoria or Kingston Heath, they'd shoot 25 under. Mm. If you played a par 72, you wind the you, know, you wind the par back at Victoria to 70 because it's, it's what it realistically is. But you know, the greatness of the sandbelt is that those courses weren't built for anybody. They were built to accommodate members and great players. And they encompassed that massive sphere of golf really well. So, so given the land that you got to work with in Hobart for this, is this, providing you blokes don't bugger it up. Yeah, well, it, absolutely. Yeah, is this, is this got, has this got the capacity to stand alongside the other courses that we know now, if we or, or know some of them now? Is, is, it, is it that good a piece of land? Well, I, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, I obviously walked Bamboogle when it was Marum Grass. Yep, yep. And that was a great site. This is a better site because right. it's bigger and it's got more space. Bamboogle, the original course, was restricted to that narrow strip between the beach and the farm. And the farm was useless for it. was the worst bit of land for golf you'd ever seen. Literally 20 yards off the middle of the second fairway is the worst land for golf you've ever seen. <laughs> right. 20 yards right of the second fairway is the best land for golf. Some of the best land for golf anyone's it's ever amazing. had. So, which is the essence of what a links course is. It's the land that links the beach to the farmland. So Seven Mile Beach is just bigger. There's more of it. Mm. It's wider. There's more space. It's got more interesting micro-undulation. It's, um, yeah, look, you know, it's, it might be an exaggeration to so say it's the best bit of land anyone's ever had to build a golf course, but it, it might be. So when you look at it, do you, is it going to need a lot of excavation or is it pretty much? No, it's no, not at all. Yeah. We've got to take the trees off it. It was a pine plantation, yep. so, so it was growing weeds on it for years. Yep. So we're going to take the trees off it. And will you leave any of those on it? No, I don't think we will. Okay, yep. Um, there are some banks here on, if there was a second course, there's some cool old banks here on the, on, on the other side, which we'd absolutely keep because yep. it looks fantastic. But um, no, we'll just take it off and, and build it, shape it and build it. And, and it's, you know, it's, there are some amazing holes out there. It's incredible. It's incre- isn't it amazing what's happened in our lifetime to golf in that region? Awesome. It's, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's actually phenomenal what's happened in the last – how long has Barn Burger been around? 20, 20 years? 2004, yeah. I mean, it really started. The guy who should get the credit for it, so a, a lot of the – not a lot, but – well, you can, we, we don't want to apportion a percentage of it, but Colin Campbell was an old pro in Melbourne who went and built the original Cape Shank course, which is kind of still there at the RACV course mm. at Cape Shank, but it's not really. They kind of blew it up and redid it. But he was the first guy to go to the Mornington Peninsula post Sorrento and Portsea and Rosebud in the early 60s yeah, right. to recognise the potential of the, the, the Cups land. And that led to the Dunes getting built, mm. led to the National being built. The Dunes wasn't instrumental in what happened at Bamboogle, but Mike Kaiser went to Bandon Dunes and built the same sort of golf that Colin Campbell envisaged on the Moynton Peninsula. And Bamboogle never would have happened without Bandon being built because Mike Kaiser came to Hobart Met Richard, spoke to Richard, took Richard to Bandon, showed him how to do it, and, that was and it. said, "Go yeah. back and do that." Yeah, right. Yeah. And the it wasn't, brief wasn't fashionable to do links courses at the time, was it? Well, Particularly, you know, well, new links courses. Well, it was what what Kaiser started, and he, well, Kaiser didn't start it. Started at Sandhills, Nebraska, was going to remote sites because that was where the great cheap land was. Going to remote. Going to remote sites and building great golf and hoping people would come. <laughs> yes. Worked at Sandals, it worked at Bandon. Richard said to Kaiser said to Satlap, "It'll work in Hobart." 
when no one, and I spoke to a lot of people, apart from Tom Doak and me and Kaiser, no one else thought that would work. The brief for the clubhouse was, if no one turns up to play golf, I want to be able to turn it into a house and go and live in it. Mm. So Richard, we, we could have been the greatest <laughs> common in the world. So Richard wasn't even sure people were going to turn up. Well, there's so, 48 different roads to get there for yeah. a start. So the, <laughs> That's right. If, if you Google Maps it, it gives yeah. you a tent. It's difficult. So Although there are some nice wineries. What's amazing, what's amazing about Hobart is it's five minutes from Hobart Airport yeah. and 20 minutes out of the city. So it's the only remote golf course that's been built in the last, well, 30 years that's actually not remote. Mm. It's actually in a city by an airport. Mm. So I think it's a... It'll be a great business. It'll be an amazing golf course as long as we don't screw it up, which is a, which is the brief Richard gave us. Don't screw, don't it, screw up. it up. Yeah. yeah. You know, he didn't care what we built. Just don't screw it up. And that's kind of the, you know, the pressure on the architects on a bit of land that good is yeah. to make sure you build as good a course as you can do. And it's such an interesting piece of land. You'll never know. We'll never know if we've got the best routing because there are so many options. At Bamboogle, there are almost, there are almost, there are a couple of options with the routing. But not that many. At, at, at Seven Mile Beats, there are multitudes of options. Well, I have to get a wrigal on. Oh, I find this stuff fascinating, and hopefully people listen to it. Just one last question on that. When you're starting, do you find the green, the greens first? Do you look for the, comp, the green no, complexes first? Is no, that what you do? Well, no, we just walked over and over. As Bill Corr said, he said, I walk over the land until it feels like golf, which was kind of what he did at Lost Farm. So lots of guys would do it off it. Tom Doak would do it. The first routing on a contour map, which you could do, but we're, but he's doing that because he's often mm, a long bad. way from the yeah, site. Yep. So you know, Matt and I spent years walking over that land, and then Mike DeVries came down in February a year ago, and we walked over that site for a week, and you know, we settled on the clubhouse site a long time ago. So that kind of constrains where you want to put the first tee. Mm. You find the first tee, and it's such great land. That, that looks like a good hole. So you walk that and you find something that looks like a great green site and you walk five yards, literally on it, on, on almost every hole. There's a great looking hole. Let's go there. Where do we you go can, now? You can well, do we'll hole, go there. Holes that should be holes. <laughs> that was so, a good idea. You could. That's a, yeah. the Twitter. So, well, well, you know, literally it's a, I mean, there are hundreds of holes down there that are great. So the, so what we'll never know is have we got the best combination of holes? Yeah. And I, I think we've got a really good one. Um, the play series. Last one before we let Play you series go. Was, what did you think of it? Rosebud was great. The course yep. was fantastic. Now, Rosebud have finally gotten the north course back together. It's crazy that course is not in the top 100 in Australia, when in reality it's the, easily the, in the top 50 and we'd fix it, make the 11th hole onto the creek and fix the tee shot at 15, make 18 a better hole. It's the it's, it's 30th best course in Australia. So I was out um, uh, in the – I came for Elvis with – Suo and Jeff Ogilvy the first two days, which was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Elvis was six over after 14. Jeff was seven under. Uh, I don't know where Jeff finished. He was top 10, wasn't he? Uh, thereabouts, so, yeah. So Elvis made two birdies from there to the end to shoot 75. And he wasn't happy. He was staying with us. We've got a house down there. He was not happy. He went out the next day, drove it up the butt of a tree the first hole, chipped it out, got up and down with a wedge from 130 yards, made one birdie. So he stood on the ninth tee. Three shots outside the cut line. Set to make four birdies to make the cut. Made six birdies in a bogey. Saturday went out there. He missed one green. Three putt the last, shot 63. Sunday went out there. Three putt the 11th, shot 63. So, But what was great was it had, on the 16th tee, Brad Kennedy, 
Suo. Mm, it was fantastic. And Elvis. Perfect. Tied for the lead. Absolutely and it couldn't have been perfect. better. No, it's perfect. And Sue finished birdie birdie and lost by two, right? Mm. Elvis finished birdie birdie birdie, lost by one. Brad Candy. Brad must have been a shot ahead. Brad, well, because he, he birdie 50. He was, that's right. And then he, he birdie 50. So he finished birdie, yeah. eagle, par yeah. birdie. Yep. So it was an amazing finish. It was great that you had a kid who I think is the best kid since Adam Scott, probably. Jason Day, yep. Sue, who played after the – well, Sue was out with us the first, first day. She shot 73 the first day. So Jeff was 64, Sue was 73, Elvis was 75. Sue four part of the eighth hole on Friday for, from eight feet and shot 65. Elvis was 67. So it was a – but it was a great mix of – you couldn't have had better. The 48, 46-year-old kind of – the most underrated player, Australian pro, certainly playing now, multiple winner in Japan – one of our best yep. LPGA players and, and, and our best kid. Yep. All fighting for the – it was perfect. Yep. You couldn't have had it yep. better. No, perfect. It was great to – and it came, the concept is great <clears> and hopefully yeah, – and, Brilliant and, idea. Yeah, it was a fantastic and, idea. And really, yep. you know, $150,000 prize money, we ought to be able to run 20 of those in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Shepparton and yeah, Orange no and Bathurst no, no. and, you know, Kalgoorlie and, 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 and you know, the, the key – and you're not always going to be able to get it. The key was having Sue and Jeff play. Because they're the kind of big names that you need to kind of, well, it's a serious tournament. Mm. And Elvis, you know, he's going to play at Bonnie Doon, I think, in a few weeks. Elvis was, he, he's going to be the kid who's, he's almost the biggest star at Bonnie Doon mm. you know, yeah. in, in mm. three weeks' time. He's, he, you know, so can, we get a lo- can we get a local sponsor on Suo's shirt and hat, saying plus and Minji Lee at the moment? Can we do we, I think yeah. we've got to a point now where somebody, somebody in corporate yeah. Australia needs Please. to. Yeah. Recognise these two players corporate, in particular. Corporate Australia's sponsored golf, but never players in Australia. Oh, well, we a, a few, yeah, but but rarely, mm. rarely. I mean, we could do we could do better with those two, I reckon. Yeah, you yeah. Know. I had this argument with Lucas Herbert, who said, "Nah, it's not about getting Australian sponsors; it's a world game." Yeah, so I don't you, take you're looking for the, yeah. You're looking yeah. for the world sponsor, and it happens to be that the, I guess it's the Korean sponsors yeah. have come forward, but it seems yeah. to be. Uh, we'll let you go. So, so someone should sign Elvis. Well, they, you know, well, of course they should. Jump, jump on that one. <laughs> they should. Buy shares in Elvis. Have you got shares your shares? I'm buying yeah. shares in Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> I'm his caddy, mum. I'm, yeah. I'm um, caddy for him. Good to see you. Thanks, mate. Um, Mike Clayton joining us on the show. Always great to have him with us. Hey, Chris Wood's going to join us, the winner of the Vic PGA on the other side of the break. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. Great to have you with us. Uh, Blakey, every now and again you see a story in golf that Sort of, even though you may not know too much about the victor or the man or woman enjoying the spoils, it sort of warms the cockles of your heart a little bit. And we saw that a bit down in the Vic PGA last week, I reckon. Yeah, Chris Wood, Andy, uh, been around for a while as a pro, I think 30 years of age. We'll check with him in a minute. But uh, only previous win of any note, really, Uh, in Papua New Guinea, 2017. No Australasian PGA Tour event wins until... Last week, and he shot 67 on the last day, which at Moona Link's open course is yeah. some decent place. Equal so. second best round of the day. I must admit, I, I probably know a bit more about the English Chris Wood than I do the Australian Chris Wood, so I'm a bit embarrassed to admit that. Uh, we've got the Vic PGA winner on the line. We're recording this on Tuesday morning, and he's only about an hour and a half away from teeing it up again to commence the Moona Link's PGA Classic. Hey, Chris, congratulations, mate. It's a very quick turnaround for you. Thank you, gents. Yeah, it is a very quick turnaround. Um, I've already got my game face on ready for today, so um, I'm, I'm ready for another day of battle. Did you have to curtail the celebrations at all? 
I did, yes. Um, I knew that uh, I only had sort of one day of celebrating. So I had a couple of beers and stuff with the boys when I got back and, and in the clubhouse afterwards. But, um, yeah, I, I knew that um, with with the Tuesday being the first round, I had to sort of, um, you know, be a good boy, so to speak. <laughs> so, Blakey mentioned, you know, a little bit about your, um, your pro history. H- had you ever doubted – you've been doing this for nearly 10 years now um, as a pro – had you ever doubted that a day of this sort of, you know, domestic significance would, would come your way? Um, you know, I, I guess that's what we all practice for and, and sort of dream of is to be in, like, the final group or, you know, the second to last group on a Sunday and, and to have a sort of sniff on the back nine. So um, I always sort of, you know, well, I tried to envision and, and, and practice and everything for, for this moment and to be actually up there on, on a Sunday and especially in the back nine, I think I was maybe tied to lead or maybe a couple back or I wasn't too sure, but I knew I was thereabouts. And, um, yeah, like, you know, it was just a great feeling to hold that putt on 17. And um, and I knew I had that one-shot lead playing the last and I was, um, I was very nervous on 18. So I was very happy to hang on. Chris, Chris, the uh, golf's the weirdest of games, isn't it? I think you, you know, you've played a couple of events recently, Gippsland and Rosebud, without showing up too much. So where's it actually come from? Because I think you had to qualify, didn't you, on Monday to play? This I did. Game. I had to do. I had to do the Monday qualifier for this week, and then the next day on the Tuesday, within this time last week, I had to pre-queue for um, this event. Oh, jeez. So I had back back to back Monday Tuesday qualifiers. And, um, so where's it come from? Where, where does the wind come well, from? You can't, you I can't actually, have been expecting it. Gippsland, I actually played quite well there. I just didn't really chip and putt well. And then the next week at Rosebud, played well again. I, I couldn't really score. I actually, I actually played really well at Rosebud. I just couldn't get the ball in the hole. And um, I just sort of sat down on you know, on the Tuesday after I, I got through the pre-cues. And I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to, you know, first of all, make the cut? And then how am I going to finish top 20? And how do I finish top 10? And I just sort of worked it out. I'm like, if I do this, this, and this, um, you know, I'll be there about. So all I try to do was just, I just tried to have the best routine in the field. And if I knew that if I stuck to my routine for 72 holes, I'd be, I'd be there about. So I just tightened up my putting a bit on Friday, heading into the weekend. And, you know, as it turned out, the putt on 17 and that little three and a half, four, four to 18 was a, was a game changer. So, yeah. Very nice, mate. Uh, I believe that Campbell Rawson, who won this event last year, slept or you slept in the same bed as he had the year before. So <laughs> I'm not with him. I hope, I hope that he, uh, I hope he changed the yeah. sheets. So right. yeah, Cam, Cam, Campbell and I, we actually we, we share in a room, and and last week I actually had tonsillitis. So coming into this week, um, you know, my head, my breathing was a bit heavy at night, and it was keeping him awake. And he actually went out in the, in the dining room floor. He dragged his mattress out at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning. And I said, mate, I'm the one making the noise. I'll go out. So I've been camping under the dining room table all week. <laughs> and um, and then we realised it was actually the same mattress that he won in last year. And I'm like, mate, I've got no problem sharing the mattress. I just hope you change the sheets. <laughs> and um, yeah, it turned out that you know we're all we're all clean there. So no, it was a it was a good, a good story actually. <laughs> Great story. And tell us a bit of your background in golf. Uh, did you do much in your amateur career uh, prior to turning pro? Um, I think you're out of Wynnum Golf Club in Brisbane. Does that sound right? Yeah, sort of. Sort of learnt the game at Wynnum. Um, yeah, I, I still practice there to this day. Um, you know, went to the junior ranks, played like sort of state golf for Queensland, a few years in the junior team, a few years in the open team. You know, won the um, 
interstate series with them and everything was that was a you know a highlight teammates, of the time and famous teammates. yeah all, all, all teammates are just, uh, just one I can think of I think it's Cameron Smith I think I oh, yeah, get his name he's not bad yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. went alright yeah um, <laughs> yeah sort of and then turned pro I think went to Q school 2012 2013 was my first year just sort of played all the the pro ams and just sort of you know learnt to play for money and and you know basically just you know, I had a, had a great team behind me at the time, but you know, I, I was never a part of Golf Australia or anything like that. So it was basically my my team and, and myself just sort of working working together. And then um, yeah, had that little win up in um, well, it was a big win for me at the time in, in 2017, the Morobi Open. Um, and then the last four or five years, I've been doing battle up in PGA Tour China. Um, had some pretty good success up there. Had a couple of runner ups and, and top tens and stuff. So. It was good to sort of get the the juices flowing up there and and feeling what it was like to be in contention. And um, I had a couple of um, you know top threes and top fives in Australia, um, you know throughout the years. But yeah, no, nothing as consistent as I would have liked. But um, yeah, so definitely like the the feelings on Sunday and to be in the in the penultimate group. Um, it was good to sort of draw back on those experiences. You know, the the few ones that I had. But it was still good to draw back on them and um, yeah, come out on top. Talking to Chris Wood, who won the Vic PGA last week and teeing it up down at Moona again this week. So it, you know, pro golf is about you know making money and you know forging a career that you've chosen. All of that, you know, the career data that you've just told Blakey about there, Chris, has that been enough? You know, to keep enough money in the bank? Have you have you been able to just focus on golf, or have you had to supplement your kind of pro ambitions doing something else? No, I've always, um, I've always, never really had a job apart from golf. Um, I always think that if you're going to, if you want to do something and you want to, you know, be successful at it, you've got to put 110% focus into yeah. that. You can't be, you can't be doing, you know, two or three jobs at once just to make ends meet. You either got to make a decision to focus on that or, you know, just do something else. So, you know, I still, you know, wake up relatively early, you know, when there's tournaments on, you know, try and put my, you know, six, seven, eight hours of work in, you know, if if it if it if that's enough and then it works, then if not, then you just got to keep working harder and, and find out what's best for you. So, yeah, it's just been golf, golf, golf for me for the last eight years, probably, yeah. Oh, good on you. So last one before we let you get back to the range and get ready for the opening round of the one in front of you now. At, have you had a sense for what this means to you? What what this win actually means to you, and might mean to your career? I think it has um, definitely. Like you know, and it literally is only two days ago since I sort of hold that putt. So um, it's it's sort of still sinking in. Um, you know, I've had a lot of guys message me in phone calls and and just random numbers text me people that aren't even in my phone. Right. Like I don't even know how you got my number and stuff. But you know, <laughs> a lot of phone calls and and text messages coming through. So. It's definitely being recognised, you know, throughout Australia, and you know, I'm very honoured to, you know, to be lifting that Jack Harris Trophy, and um, I know my name is on there with um, a lot of good other players. So, I think um, the biggest thing for me is is the exemption because I've only sort of really maintained my card maybe once or twice before, and um, you know, the big thing for me is to avoid that damn Q school. And I, and in previous years, it's been down at Moonalinks, and that course has spat me out. Chewed, chewed me up and spat me out before, so I did. Um, I did rely on all those bad experiences and everything, and I just try to use them as, um, well, you know, I know that bunker's a no-go zone. I know missing that green long left or right is no good. Let's just hit it on the green, 
keep it simple, hold the putt, walk to the next. So, yeah. It's a great story, mate. Well done. Everyone here at Inside the Ropes applauds you, mate. Congratulations and good luck this week. Thank you, gents. Thank you. All the best. Christopher Wood, who wins the 2021 Victorian PGA Championship, and he's turning it up again this week. It's a great story, Blakey. It's a good story. I wonder whether he's on that mattress this week. <laughs> it's the lucky mattress. Uh, Frank, uh, Hazy going to join us next. Tell us about the Australian Am. Uh, he's over there at uh, Kuyonga. He's going to tell us all about that after this. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. We've got a bit of a special bonus for listeners of Inside the Ropes here. We thought uh, Clates was gone. But he's popped back into the studio because you've uh, you were a bit early for a meeting of yours. So, have, yep. Australian <laughs> amateur champion. Exactly. Yes. Well, which is good because Hayes, Mark Hayes is generally here with us. He's not. He's over in Adelaide at Kionga for the um, Ozam and been good enough to join us to well set the scene for us. As I said at the top of the show, we're recording this on Tuesday, so you know by the time you listen to it, you, you know this event will be you know well and truly developed. But set the scene for us, Hazy. How good is that golf course looking to begin with? Uh, g'day, boys. I'm look. I'm blown away. Um, we we spoke about it last week. I think you said Greg Blewett was full of praise for it as a member. Mm. So I sort of had high hopes walking in here this week. But I've never seen a, a tournament course in Australia presented like this. It's unbelievable. I, I, there's not one blade of grass out of place. The greens are as pure as you could possibly have them. Um, Right now, the wind's still, that's not going to be good for the course as a defence, but uh, if it stays like this and guys get on a roll, it's it's, it's munchable because um, there is nothing to stop them. There are no loose bounces, crazy rolls. It's just awesome. I can't speak more highly of it. It's pristine. Such a fun golf. I've only played it once and I played all right there, so you have good memories, but it's just a really, it's a fun course to play, Clates. It's good. It's... um. Interesting land. Underland. Eight holes are really cool. Kind of side hill, fun hole. Um, you're playing up the hill at six, which is interesting. The fourth hole is a blind t-shirt over the hill. But there's lots of really interesting undulation on the front nine. Do you like the course? Yeah, I do. I yeah, like it. Yeah. Yep, yep. yeah I, I really like it. it. Yeah, um, so set, up the, set the scene for us, Hazy. How is the field, if at all, how's the field been knocked around because of you know, everything that's going on at the moment? Yeah, it's, it's there's been a few people pull out because of uh, COVID fears and, and also, um, you know, just cross-border restrictions, etc. But most people are here. Um, there's a, there are a few exceptions. I was, um, I was, I was hoping to see somewhat of a shootout with Elvis Smiley and, and a couple of the other guys here. Uh, unfortunately, Elvis didn't make it. But um, there's there's a bit of a sense, Andy. I would say that uh, there's people here who would have turned pro in the preceding six months uh, had the world being different in 2020 so there's sort of this year's plus last year's amateurs here so there's a, a feeling that um there's a plenty of ways that the tournament could pan out which is great um really strong at the top in both fields um i think there's some pros in the waiting who'll probably pick up the title come friday and we are playing as stroke play for the first time um which is interesting i know everyone's got their opinions i'm probably in the clayton camp which is uh, from what I've read this week, Clayton's uh, um, you know, pro match play, but we have moved to the 72-hole stroke play, which has rankled a few people. But I, I, I get the feeling, Andy, that um, the, the depth at the top, if that makes sense, the, the people who are worthy winners here, there are more perhaps this year than in recent other years, um, just purely because of the fact that so many haven't turned pro yet. And I'm sure there's going to be an avalanche of them at some point 
uh, in the future. And I caught up with one of those, Grace Kim, um, who I'm sure is going to turn pro at some stage in 2021, just a few minutes ago before she teed off. Grace, really thrilled that you've joined us again today. You've become a bit of a regular on Inside the Ropes. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm like quite glad to be a part of this all the time. But yeah, I'm glad that we managed to get to Adelaide, you know, negative but like negative testing for covid which is a positive for us so yeah i'm really happy really really excited for the week your first look at uh the course yesterday in practice how'd you find it oh i i played this course um in the 2017 women's open so ever since then i've just been in love with this golf course i told june who i'm staying with that you know like it's an unreal place like i think it's very underrated um and from the first tee she said she loved it and so did I so I'm really really excited to play course is looking great green unreal so really keen and this isn't new to you because you've been doing this for a couple of years now but you come here as one of the favorites <laughs> how do you how do you deal with that because I know you're a very modest person uh, yeah no like it's good to um have that you know support from people like people messaging me but yeah just another week of golf really just uh yeah getting it done was and that's my biggest goal this week, so hopefully. <laughs> so you're here with, um, you know, perhaps other leading contenders, you know, Dowie Choi, Kirsten Rudgley, etc. Mm -hmm. You're all on the verge of turning pro, I'm mm, sure. Yeah. Without having, you don't have to give me any details, but I'm sure it's on your mind of all of you. How do you deal with that? Yeah, like um, knowing or hoping that this will be my last um, Aussie Am. Um, I'll try to make it a good one, but yeah, my plans on turning pro this year is still going ahead, um, regardless of what COVID happens. But um, yeah, just just sad that it's sort of coming to an end. But I'm really looking forward to making this a good stepping stone for my um, professional career. And we all celebrated with you a few weeks ago when you got that second invitation back to Augusta. Is it still sort of at the back of your mind or is it sort of creeping forward a little yeah, bit? Yeah, no, up until this morning I was still registering. Um, I needed to put in details for my flights and everything. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. And, yeah, so I don't know. I'm just I'm just excited. I don't know what to say. <laughs> you, I, what, have you thought about the negatives of do I don't if I don't get to go? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a bit of a bummer because obviously it's a big... Um, you know, once in a lifetime miracle for any golfer. But if it doesn't happen, then it is what it is. I can't really do much, but I'm just hoping that it doesn't happen like that. <laughs> well, we're always looking forward to seeing you, so I'm, I'm personally looking forward to watching you, well, I wouldn't say dominate, but play really well yeah, here yeah, if you're younger. Yeah, I'll so she's obviously she sounds like someone hazy who's got her eyes on the prize this week. I mean, if if what you've said in the lead into that, um, you know, is to be the case that she does turn pro, then. Um, you want to have a, you want to put a bit of an exclamation mark on your amateur career, and there's probably, as an Australian player, there's no better way of doing it. Oh, that's 100% correct. And you know, I know that Clates, for example, takes great pride in his 78 victory, um, and I know that this presented Grace with an opportunity for her to, you know, put her name on the title that's probably missing on her resume. And in other times, she would have turned pro, you know, before the Australian Summer of Events, and we wouldn't have had her here. So. Uh, treats are going to get to be to watch her, which is which is fantastic. And I think um, Kirsten Rudgley. By the time people listen to this, I think you'll find her, Kirsten Rudgley, and maybe Dolly Choi have moved away from the field. They're the quality players, not only in amateur ranks in this field, but they've also done the job on the professional stage as amateurs in in the past eighteen months, two two years. So uh, they're the class of the field, and I expect to see them do really well. Hazy, just to touch on what you mentioned about some of the. Very good AMs uh, staying on as amateurs a little bit longer. I was talking to Louis Dobbelar from Queensland about yeah. this recently, and he basically said he's not sure about tour schools. Uh, so that's that's really the issue, isn't it? That the 
The tour schools? Yeah, the, the tour schools have all changed dates and you know, mm. you're, you're not sure whether you can get to them across borders and things like that. And there's, um, mm. A lot of times you would have seen the PGA extending um, opportunities to, um, I guess, burgeoning pros that they haven't been able to because they haven't been able to put on tournaments and they haven't been able to find necessarily all the spots for the amateurs um, that they might uh, in another year um, to tournament play a series yeah. aside, of course, um, because they need to get some opportunities um, for their own for their own staff, which is which is totally understandable. So it is a weird year, and and there's just that vibe of, among the amateurs here, the good amateurs that. Uh, not necessarily having cards or playing opportunities or something laid out like they might otherwise have had. So we've seen people like Nathan Barbieri um, take it and run. Uh, he's done really well in his first couple of months as a pro. But there's been people who've sort of been uh, washed out the back and they they may not have access to much golf in the next 18 months until they do something and find something at Q School, Blakey. How are the burgers at uh, Pionga? They're usually pretty good. <laughs> Blakey, I, that's a disgraceful are question from you. I've done, I've done nothing but eat salad since I got here. Uh, huh? That is a lie. <laughs> My lie detector just went off. Oh, come on. <laughs> There's one, this, the, the clubhouse has been revamped here, and they're very proud of it. So they're sort of showing people around, and I, you don't go too far without getting a Cooper's and a burger in your hand. It's a pretty amazing <laughs> place to younger. Just let me pick up with you, Clates, what Hazy was talking about, a couple of the um, aspirational players and where this sits in their, you know, kind of um, their journey towards professionalism. Was this the last tournament you played as an amateur? No, I no, I won in nineteen seventy eight and I played seventy nine eighty. I played three more amateurs. Oh, did you? Okay, right. Yep. Yeah. So was it why? Why did you just want to stay well, in the amateur ranks? I didn't, or? Think, I didn't think I was very good Couldn't in 1978. Um, kids are much better now. They know much more about their techniques. They they were much better players than we were, I think. Where'd you win yours? Royal Queensland. Where'd you play 79 and 80? I caddied for John Kelly, who won the next year. I didn't qualify. What? Yeah. You didn't get in as a under the championship? No. No exemption? So I missed the it's quali- missed it. So I caddied for John Kelly, who beat Peter Sweeney in the final. Really? I didn't play in 81. I played 980 in Hobart. Yep. I didn't play in 81, I don't think. I think I turned pro by then. Were you a temperamental young thing back yeah, in those days? Yeah, horrendous. Oh, I was horrendous. God. Horrendous. <laughs> the uh, the four-round stroke play. Clates, I still love uh, watching you play golf. It's copped a lot of flack in some quarters and other people don't care. I mean, uh, yeah, what do you think? I like. I think match play is kind of an important part of amateur golf. And so I do think, you think it sort of teaches players the right way? Or? Match play? I think match play is great at teaching you how to play under pressure. If you... If you you know, I came for Elvis last year for a couple of matches, and he he was down all day and was, was in both matches, and he won the first of the 19th and the second one on the last hole. And I think that the intensity of playing a match in the last two or three or four holes mm. or going extra holes is great. Way. I think that's how you learn how to play under pressure. Now, someone will finish fifth this week at the, at the Australian Amateur and play under no pressure all, all week, not under any pressure of winning the tournament. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think match play is a great way to learn to play under pressure. And I think it's the amateur game. But I mean, the USGA went with stroke play from the mid-60s to the mid-70s and went back to match play. And, you know, the question is, are we, are we just preparing kids to be pro golfers or are we defending what's great about amateur golf? And, so, and, and, and you can, I can make the argument on the other side too. I mm. mean, you, easily you can argue that the best player is more likely when it's stroke play than match play. Match play is a much flukier. 
way to decide, to decide a winner. But match play is, I mean, match play is much more interesting to watch. I'd much rather watch the second day of the Australian Amateur and watch two great matches than go and watch the second round of a stroke play tournament. It's just the second round of a stroke play tournament. It's just not that interesting. I can hear you itching to say something there, Hazy. Oh, no, I, I agree firmly with Clates. I, I just watched this morning Andre Lorte, and you know, hopefully he's recovered from this by the time people listen, but he had a triple bogey um, seven on the, I'm trying to think which hole it was, the 11th hole this morning, his second. And um, there's an argument that says stroke play, you know, will find you the best winner. But in Andre Lorte's case, he's a potential winner of this title maybe, um, you know, one bad hole pushed him out uh, of contention. In match play, he's still in the mix. Um, I know that's a ridiculous, over, you know, uh, exaggeration mm. to say that one triple bogey is going to kill him off. But you know, the same thing can apply both ways. And I, to me, I agree with Clates that you know it's far more entertaining and followable as a spectator when you're watching match play. Um, Brad James's argument is that as Hideki Matsuyama has done in the Asia Pacific. Thing, you find good winners who then go on and win these tournaments in on the PGA Tour. So wow. I can see both points, but I, yeah. I just think that you know match match play is uh, something you kiss goodbye basically when you when you take the pro plunge. Uh, I'm disappointed to see it go. So I've, I've maintained that. It's, I, I get in trouble saying that in our office, but that's the way I feel about it. It's good that it's not state radio here. Um, <laughs> you know, Matt Yama's one example, but. Who are the other guys who won the Asian Amateur? Have they ever done any good? Oliver Goss doesn't play golf anymore. Mm. Did he win it? Maybe he didn't win it. No, that, no, that, he didn't. You know, win. The, the, the Chinese kid who no one's ever heard of it ever. The yeah, Fantin Lang. Fantin Lang. Yep. Lang. Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's you know, it's kind of a clutching at straws that argument, I think. But you know, there's uh, there are two argu- there are two sides to that argument, and, and it's not one side is not one hundred percent right. There's elements. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, mean, I mean, we yearn to play four-round stroke play tournaments when we were amateurs because there weren't any. You played the Vic Open, the Australian Open, Riversdale, Lee and Gatha, that was it. There were three or four a year. And there are more now. And if you're preparing to be a pro, you can't get enough four-round tournaments. They, they, they're a great way to teach you how to play pro golf. Yeah. But I think there's a place for match play in pro golf. So, sorry, in Amazon. Right? Right? Yeah, for sure. Hey, Hazy, um, we'll have the full wrap next week, mate. So um, uh, we'll speak to you then. Enjoy your strolling uh, on those beautifully manicured fairways of Kuyonga, mate. We'll speak to you next I week. Just, I just want to rip the shoes off and walk around barefoot for the next weekend. Is that oh, good? So thanks. I, I appreciate it. Now, no, now Hazy, just one thing. Oh. When you go to the go to the top left edge of the eighth fairway, which is one of the best holes on the course, one of the best holes, in, one of the better holes in Australia. Imagine how great that shot from the top left corner of the eighth <laughs> fair would be if you could see it. If they just knocked over those few pine trees there, it would be an amazing looking shot. I will report back to you next. Report next, back. Uh, take some photos, Hazy. Call up Neil Crafter yeah. and uh, yeah. take some photos. Yeah, <laughs> I'll do that. Good man. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Mark Hayes uh, will be back with us next week, uh, reporting in from the Oz Amp. Uh, are you sticking around or are you going to go? We've got one more segment to go here. We'll talk about what's happened I've overseas. Got to, I've got to meet someone downstairs. Elvis, I'm, I'm meeting Elvis downstairs at quarter past 12. Oh, no, we've got time. You can stick Elvis around. Is, you can Elvis is in the building. He's, he's about to be in the building. Uh, you can have a chat with us about what happened over in Phoenix and Saudi Arabia on the other side of this. Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia.
Uh, this is a double special bonus for us because Clates is sticking around. He doesn't have to meet Elvis Smiley for another 11 minutes. So uh, let's quickly whip through uh, the last bits and pieces. Before we get into what's happened, let's look ahead to what's going to happen. And special for our WA listeners of Inside the Ropes, they're very keen to follow their flotilla of talented players around the world. And Minwoo Lee hasn't been having the best run of it of late, but it can turn around pretty quickly, uh, this game, and form within this game. And he's got a big opportunity. How many missed cuts? Seven of his last nine mm. starts. In Europe. Yeah. Mm. There, there so about. he's got a sponsor's invitation to play at the Pebble Beach Pro-Am. So he's, he's playing on the US Tour for the very first time this week, Minwoo, which is where he ultimately wants and hopes to be. So... Um, I think the way that he's looking at it is he's going to continue to play in Europe because he's got exemptions to play there because of his win at the Vic Open last year or the year before. And uh, he uh, he wants to take up some sponsor invites and hope, hopes to get enough points up like, uh, I guess, Cam Smith did mm. previously, didn't he, where he just played his way onto the tour. I mean, if you play, play well enough, uh, get enough points, you can do it. So form is not good, but, you know, maybe... Uh, the venue, you know, spectacular venue, terrific golf course, Clates, yep. yes. Yep. Uh, yep. You know, maybe at Pebble Beach he can, he can do something. So it's it's interesting. On the uh, Golf Australia website today, golf.org.au, if you want to read it, there's a, the PGA Tour media did a – they got Min Woo and Min Ji, of course, his yep. very famous elder sister, to do a little diary of how their relationship has, has been – through the whole golf experience because yep. they're very, very different people, aren't they, Clates? Minji is very serious. She always wants to practice. She practices largely on her own. Minwoo is a very garrulous, sort of friendly, personable, uh, knockabout kind yeah, of guy. Yeah. They're, they're completely different. I was, I'm, I'm talking to Minwoo about that one day and he said, well, the way we look at it, you know, she goes in a very straight line and I go in a very squiggly line, yeah. but we, we hope to get to the same place. So that was that was quite a good quote. You, a, you you have big raps on me. Yeah, he's a lead, charismatic guy to watch play golf. He's fun to watch him play. I'm amazed he's played. His results have been that poor in the so, last little bit. I knew he wasn't great in the Middle East, but he's better than missing cuts. So since 2019, he's teed it up 38 times and he's missed the cut. 20 of those 38 times. Yeah, he's good enough player not to... He's way better than So that. what is he, is he... Does he try and take on too much? Does he try know. and try and hit the impossible shot too often? I haven't seen him play enough. And he's got a good caddy. He's got Marco Mira's old caddy, I think. Mm. So it's not like you can say, well, he needs to get a better caddy because he's got a good caddy. So He's such a talented player. Like, And he, when he's only young, it's all in front of him. So yeah. he'll... he'll. I'm not... Justin Thomas used to do this. Remember Justin Thomas used to miss... Every third cut, he was he was always missing cuts, Justin Thomas, until he sort of found a way of yeah. getting through to the weekend a bit more often, and then you know doing what he does. And well, he's sometimes, not offending people. Sometimes talent, you know, big talent can be. I guess it can be a, a bit of a burden. It doesn't mm. bother you or I, Andy, but because uh, we don't have it. But uh, <laughs> it can be a burden to kind of work out how to play. Clates would it be like, yeah, I don't you know, know does he attack? Does he defend? Does he, you know? Uh, yeah, well, the, what was the cut in the Middle East last week? It was under par, wasn't it, I think? Couldn't tell you, but yeah, yeah. it was. I think it would have been, yeah. yeah. Saudi Arabia. Yeah, so you've got to play well, right? They're under par on their human rights too. So. <laughs> There's a lot of controversy about yeah. people turning their backs on political statements that they'd yeah. made a couple of years yeah. ago when the, uh, when, Casey, the yeah. <laughs> when the money got put yeah. in front of them. Yeah. It is always funny watching people scramble to backtrack. Oh, yeah, well, 
that was then and this is now and, you know, things have changed and all the rest of it. Um, Dustin Johnson wins over there. The top three, Johnson, Rose, Finau, um, world-class, obviously. Johnson's won 16 times since 2016. Four times since late August, his, including the Masters. He's never going to, until he starts winning multiple majors, he's never going to get it, like, sit, like into eights, nines, approaching double-figure type major. He's never going to be in the conversation as one of the all-times. But he's starting to put together that sort of profile, isn't he? He'd be, yeah. He's not, he mightn't get to eight, but he, he ought to get to six. Mm. Not order, but he's got a good chance to get to six. Only four months, and he's thrown a few away. Yeah, how about what he has? Three weight that last hole at Chambers yeah, Bay. And whistling Straits. Had the penalty at Whistling Straits and shot 82 the last round at Pearl Beach when he had it, he was leading. And, but I mean, I've never seen him play much. I know how, how big Jeff is on his game. He, Ogilvy loves his game. What does he love about it? Just, just how, how he hits the ball. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, well, you know, Ed Decott's got that funky kind of mm. shut face and bend over wrist that looks kind of odd to me, but. Yeah, he's a beautiful player, amazing player, and he's just—he's proved. I mean, winning what he what, 16, 16 years in a row now. Yeah, he's won at he least once wins. on the US yeah. tour. Yeah, yeah, fabulous. Player. Just, just recently, he either wins or he contends. That's, he's, he's, he says he's, it a week. So off. consistent. Speaking of which, and we're on Tony Finau watch. He at his last win in two thousand sixteen in Puerto Rico. Since then, he's run second nine times, third three times. And fourth to tenth, so top ten finish fourteen times since then. So it's now up to twenty six top ten finishes since his last win. So he's the best player in the world. So, but if you, I, and Clayton sat down tomorrow and we've got we're we're picking a player to play for you in an event, are you taking him or? You well, you put him in your Ryder Cup team, wouldn't you? He's got to be. He's in. I mean, he's he's a lock for that. Well, yeah. Have you ever heard Sam Harrop? Uh, he, he, with the piano, he sings no golf songs. No, he's got a song called "When We When, when Will Tony Finau Win Again." Right. It's fantastic. It's really, right. you actually should have played. It's brilliant. Well, maybe we'll lead the, lead the show with it yeah. next next week. So, when will Tony Finau win again? And he's got one on Ben Arn. He said Ben Arn putts like he's got no eyes. And, I mean, they're really clever. But but, but his Tony Finau one is. Fantastic. We should have a, one of Sam Harris' songs. Yeah, should, should. We should play it on the show every yeah, week, so yeah, maybe we'll do that next week. Um, talking about Min Woo and how things – and we spoke to Chris Wood earlier about how things can just happen. Brooks, Brooks kept his – I don't want to say his comeback because he hadn't really gone anywhere. Did you read some of the comments he made after winning um, in Phoenix? No, about being in a dark place? He, yeah, he was yeah. – he I've been in some dark places. I've questioned whether I would um, be remotely the same player I was – there have been lots of tears. It takes a lot of effort to get out of those dark places. Yeah, weird. He oh, I love the way he plays. I think yeah, magnificent. He's only off, yeah. He was only in him. He's only sort of out of the frame for about six months. Like it wasn't yeah. as if he's been in the, the doldrums for like, five years. It was like it was Jordan Spieth. <laughs> no, well, he's such a, uh, a, great, a great closer, Kepka. You know, yeah, like exactly. his last three, three, four holes. Yeah, well, he's five, un- five yeah. under the last seven when Shawflay, Spieth, Hahn, and um, Ustazen were burping all over themselves on the back nine. They were throwing up left, right, yeah. and centre. So they, they kind of, it was kind of gifted to him in one respect. But he um, hit the shots. And the yeah. chip in at 17, did you happen to see that? Yeah, the beautiful difficult chip. For beautiful Eagle, shot. by the way. It was yeah. a short Magnificent. Yeah. Um, so th- there's one. <laughs> so Bryson, did you hear what he said about, in the lead-up to the tournament, do you hear what he said about Jordan Spieth? No. If you go back and look at Ian Baker, Finch and David Duval's ascent and descent in the game of golf, they track a similar path to Jordan Spieth. 
when they get to a point where they are really searching and they get desperate, there's not only an insecurity of whether or not it's ever going to find, whether you're ever going to find it again. There's also that psychological scar tissue. It's like a physical wound, and some of them will heal up, and some of them will kill you. He said that Jordan Spieth was heading into golfing oblivion on Tuesday before the tournament. Now Spieth contended and didn't Led win through three rounds. He did. He didn't win, um, and he shot 71 in the final round. And then, of course, Bryson was asked to. Would you like to comment on your did comments pre-Spieth before the round? He said, oh, I can't remember saying any of that. Did he hit two fairways the first day? Yeah, that that's what that's, – and that's he what Chambly – the lights out. Chambly said yeah. what he did statistically in terms of fairways missed. Um, Score shot. Yeah. It yeah. was – it was it's never been done before yeah. in the history of the game of golf. It was, it was off the charts inconceivable that he was able to get up and down from positions he put himself in. Yeah, he's a great player of the game. Mm, I, haven't great seen, scorer, I haven't seen him play for – well, a couple of years ago, he was second in strokes gained proximity to the hole yeah. with his irons. He was a you know, brilliant iron player. Mm. But And I haven't seen him play. I, I don't have a clue what's going on with his driver. But I played with Finchie when Finchie was going through that, and he couldn't play because it was just – if there was trouble left, he blew it 40 yards into the rubbish on the right. If there was trouble right, he duck-hooked it in the, in the crap on the left. I mean, it was uh, – So it's fear of the hook. Well, no, you had the yips. You had the club in a bad spot, and he couldn't get at it. Mm. It's going at 100 and something miles an hour. Yeah. And if it's, if it's inside and underneath or shut or open, and you, and you don't have any control over the face, you can't play. So Spieth hit two in the water <clears> in the last four holes. So it'll be interesting to see. So Sham- left, Shambly's clearly followed him more than we have, and yeah. he's seen him hit more goal shots than we have. So it'll be interesting to see whether his prediction that he's about to you know enter into the sort of great a beast that swallows yeah. professional golfers. Um, it'll be interesting well, to see. Or, or the, the, well, I think he's been there. The question is, was last week evidence that he's coming out of that? Yeah, or just a, yeah, yeah. yeah. But yep. he's a, it's a better game and he's playing well. No doubt. He's a compelling player and he's Absolutely. fantastic. And if he never played well again, he's still had an amazing career. Um, anything else before we get what, out of here? What, you, what did you all make of Holy Moly? Uh, <laughs> as we speak, is still still running. I, I, I found it nearly unwatchable, but I understand... Uh, that some people liked it. You know, it, the ratings were about 900,000 the first day. Killed it the first great. night, yeah. Then it dipped, about, mm. dipped to about 700. I noticed that it was 629,000 on Sunday. So a lot of people have dropped off. But, you know, is, I, I couldn't quite work out whether it was a kid's show or an it's adult show. Is. You got sort of adult themes in the commentary and then... Uh, a lot of jokes know, about Uranus. Yeah. You know. What did you think? I, I, I didn't watch it. Well, I did. I watched about 10 minutes the first night. Oh, 10 minutes? Yeah, I was like, really? Kids what about loved, you, The kids loved it. Yeah. And we enjoyed yes, watching yeah. the kids. We sat there on the first night. I'll confess I haven't watched it again since. We watched the first night together from go to woe, and we had a ball. And we enjoyed, as parents, watching the kids enjoy it. But they haven't. They're not begging to watch it again. I'm not so. thinking you could get your kids to watch a rerun, as I did last week, of the 1983 US Open. <laughs> uh, that's unlikely. The thing is, Clates, you would know who finished 1 to 10 and their, their final scores as well. Although uh, they, they did, the day that Hannah knocked the pun in to win the 2019 US PGA, they, they were watching that because I was watching it, and they absolutely loved it. And they'd never heard of Hannah Green before. Yeah. But I loved it. Yeah, you know, watching the tennis. It's amazing to think that Hannah Green and Ash Barty have won the, the equivalent yes. events. They've both won majors. Yep. And Ash Barty could walk in at Chadston and everyone would know who she was. Billboards yep. all over the gym. Hannah Green would walk in there and no one would know no. who she was. Is no. Greg Norman moving back to Australia? That's <laughs> not. 
Have you heard about this? See his house. He's, put he's some selling his house, right? In Jupiter. Yeah. Oh, he's been is. there for 30 years. No, it is a beautiful house. Amazing. It is actually magnificent. Yeah, I went there. Yeah. Did you? Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Do you have a swim? No. Did you have any clothes on? I did. Is no, that, did, did, yeah, did, yeah. did yeah, Is that right. where Bill Clinton fell down the stairs? And that was where Bill Clinton fell down the stairs. Yeah. So he's selling his house, and there's some sort of speculation that he, you know, maybe he's coming back to Australia. Oh. Yeah. Where would he live? Do we care? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we care about Craig, don't we? Yeah, why wouldn't you live in Australia? Yeah. Why would you want to live in America when you live in Australia? Yeah, good point. Paul Keating was right. We've got a much better country. Well, particularly now that he's contracted coronavirus, he doesn't want to get that again over there and no. still out of control. So get over here where there isn't any, you know? Florida or... Wow. Yeah, no, it's a no-brainer. no-brainer. Well, the other, well, his mates moved back to Florida, so it's probably I don't know how close the old, the former, the forty-fifth president of the United States oh, okay. is to him, but yeah, well, yeah. he's moved down there. Anyway, what's that? Um, go and meet Elvis. Good to see you, you. Uh, Blakey. Good to see you. Uh, that's it. See you, lads. Episode one ninety-four. Inside the ropes. Thanks for tuning in. Back again next week to do it all again.